Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized, and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today, we have Greg from Brooklyn Music Factory, another uh, team member at Brooklyn Music Factory who we've brought on the podcast just to really help us explore and dive into uh, what makes a large school work and uh, what makes a seven-figure figure music school get to that point. And today we're going to look at a topic that I know is really important to teachers. I'm going to tell you how I know it's important to teachers. Um, I help a lot of music schools with their messaging. And invariably we get to the messaging and I look at a school owner or I look at a studio owner and I say, okay, now we've got to figure out what makes your school unique. And we need to talk about it in such a way that it doesn't feel like kind of the cut and paste um, text that I often see or feel is on a music studio site. So by and large, you go and look at the the, the majority of, of studio or school sites, they feel kind of cookie cutter. They feel kind of same. They all kind of talk about the same things. And what I tell a school owner is, hey, let's find something that, that makes you unique. And here's here's the tragedy. So many times, and this has even happened for me in the last week or two, which is why it's on my mind. So many times they say, well, I don't really think we do anything unique. We, we kind of, ju- we do just kind of teach lessons. So how do I, how do I spin that straw into gold? Basically. Hmm. Well, you know, Nate felt the burden of this many years ago and it's why we're doing a, a, an episode, the topic we're going to do today. And it's about creating something special in your school or adopting something special from the outside to give you, uh, you know, I, I'm going to use a fancy business term here, but to give you a unique selling proposition or a unique value proposition. So we're going to jump in today and explore um, what BMF is doing in this bucket two conversation. So Nate, where do you think hmm. we should start today? Start by just introducing Greg because yeah, great. Greg has been a profound um, or has had a profound impact on the development of our curriculum. Greg, Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And um, maybe, Greg, you could start uh, just talking about what your current role is at BMF. I know you wear multiple hats. I know you're a guitar teacher and a great one. Um, but what is your current role at Brooklyn Music Factory? And, uh, and, and then from there, could you give us like the 30-second bio where you started at the factory and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again, guys, for having me. Um, so yeah, as Nate said, I am a guitar teacher at uh, BMF. I was a band teacher when I was in person. Um, but uh, yeah, I think outside of being a teacher, I'm an instructional designer or a curriculum designer. Um, and that can be from the inception of the curriculum idea, or it can be through the multimedia um, production of that idea. So I can maybe take an idea and create some graphics, a PDF, some sort of worksheet 
uh, an audio jam track or a video support material for that. So that's kind of my, my big role there. Um, do you want, you wanted to talk about my, uh, entry to BMF too? Yeah. I'd love to know. I think how that'd you be really interesting. Yeah. Totally. Yes. Yeah, so actually I was thinking about this the other day as I was kind of preparing for this, uh, this podcast. And I was thinking, um, I was working at a preschool and enrichment cen- center, um, up until 2018. And, um, I had heard about BMF through a friend and I said, this looks way more in line with what I want to do than what I'm currently doing. <clears throat> and um, I interviewed for a camp position. You guys, it's really funny to look back at the interview now because all you guys wanted was a camp teacher. Mm. And I came into it being like, dude, I do curriculum design. I love game-based uh, stuff. And I do teacher training at this school and I'm going to do this and that. And you guys were like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. We just we just need a camp teacher, dude. <laughs> but I could see in the back of your head, you were like, huh, this it, let's see how camp works with Greg. And if things are all right, maybe we'll uh, have him continue. So that's kind of like my entry position there. Wow. And right off, I just want to make a little aside before we keep going on the track that we're on. Uh, Warren Buffett has a great co- quote. Um, when it's raining gold, reach for a bucket, not a thimble. There have been many times where I've been in search mode for a team member. And then suddenly this person's talking in a way like, whoa. And so, you know, Greg, I'm glad that even from that first interview, you could, you could tell and sense that Nate was like the wheels were turning because um, (laughs) when you, when you meet someone that is just like, I don't know how, but they've got to fit in this equation because I want that person and that energy on my team. So I know that isn't really have anything to do with the with the topic of the episode at hand, but I think everyone should just write that down. Be very open. Be aware of of when you have a like an A plus player in your presence, and then just make sure you snap them up in, in it, any way that you can. It's an interesting thing to note that for most jobs that I've gone into, I've always wanted to create a hat that doesn't exist yet in the company. Mm. And I always come in saying, actually, I think you guys need this and you don't have it yet. So you better make room. <laughs> so can I ask a question, Greg? Yeah. Why not do your own thing? Um, I'm terrible with uh, actually just, you know, listening to the podcast, the small business owner part of it, the organization, the money part. I, I don't want to do that. I want to be in creative fun mode. So thank you, Nate, for always <laughs> like, yeah, go for it, dude. Like, I think you brought me into like a, a money meeting once. Yeah, you remember I remember. And you, were, yeah. and you were like, so Greg, I just want to get your perspective. What do you, what do you think about th- these numbers versus the curriculum? And I was like, I am out of my element. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know enough about the <laughs> stuff. And you were like, okay. And guess what? I was not invited back to any more money. Uh, that, I mean, <laughs> there's another two takeaways right here. I hear music school owners or uh, not not big music owners, but people who are on the beginning of their journey to build a team around them say, why would anyone want to work for me? Or why would anyone want to work in general when they could just go out and do it on their own and quote, make more? Folks, you just heard right here why. Um, so I hope this is a confidence builder for you that there are really good and talented people out there that that are are looking to be part of a team that don't necessarily want to head the team themselves. And in reality, as we've mentioned on past episodes, 
there are people who have a cognizance and awareness that being part of a team actually helps us go farther. That's something that I struggle with for a long time. I didn't want to build a team around me because I could go faster on my own. But anyway, like I said, it's another aside. Um, I love that, Greg. That's perfect. Nate? Daniel, can I add to something you said a couple minutes ago, too? Because, and I know, Greg, we haven't even gotten into (laughs) core of the content that you came prepared to share because it's going to be awesome when you do. But I want to point out two moments in, Greg, your journey at BMF. You just pointed out a really important one, right? You said the initial interview, you were transparent about what you aspired to, right? Mm -hmm. And that we were receptive to that. Whether or not we offered you something in the moment, we didn't. But believe me, we were taking notes, you know? There was another point that you mentioned that's so important is you showed up to something that was not energizing to you where you didn't feel like you added value. Like, you know, I freaking love money meetings, dude. I love numbers. I love reading the stories in them. I don't, I'm transparent about our numbers, about our money. We have open books. You can ask, you know, that stuff is energizing to me, but you were very clear. You're like, I'm not sure I'm adding value here. Mm -hmm. Again, the team was open to that and was like, huh, let's not waste Greg's time. Right now there's another moment in your history that I, we need to talk about here for a second. Can't remember the year. Don't ask me. But it was like mid-October. You were you came to me and said, Nate, I'm not happy right now in this current role. And the part of, you know, that happens in any job site, right? People in any workplace, you'll have an employee who's like, I'm I'm not happy for whatever reason. But you came with a very different perspective. And this goes back to your initial interview, because Daniel and I talk about hiring to values. Getting like Daniel was talking about in messaging, getting really clear on what makes you unique, your purpose. You came to the next meeting and you had prepared a chart of our seven core values. Do you remember this? Yeah. And you were like, dude, I'm struggling with these five values right now. I'm losing the joy. And that's not fair to the team. And that's not fair to the students. Hmm. And dude, that is just everyone listening here should take a pause for a minute and be like, This is why hiring, training, retaining to values is so important. Because when you came with that, Greg, I was like, man, like Greg is such an important member of our team. And I don't, again, to Daniel's words, I'm not sure exactly what to do next. Because here you were, I think you were teaching a whole pile of bands. I think you were like, I can't remember the scenario, but you were, you were doing something as a teacher that wasn't working. You weren't energized. You felt like you weren't serving the students. So I was like, I don't exactly know what to do next. But one thing I'm 100% certain of is that there's a long-term role for Greg on the team. We just have to figure out, maybe it's three months of awkward transition. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But so I wanted to highlight that too, because these are all these, these, um, these are all these signs, as Daniel put it, when you have a really A plus member of the team and that values piece is so vital, right? Because- Here's an interesting thing that I remember from that meeting that was kind of like, there was an opportunity to pivot and we did, and it was like a no brainer was I was teaching a ton of classes mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like we had enough support material to every time I was going into the class, I was creating something new. I was constantly creating and creating. And I was like, Oh my God, I like beyond just my, 
the time that I take teaching, I have this whole other thing of time where I'm just creating to support the class because I just want it to be really good. And I was like, dude, can, can I just like I'm energized by the creation, but I can't do both. I can't be teaching a ton of classes and creating all the stuff. Mm. And I was like, can, can I just create all the stuff and then share it with a bunch of teachers so that everybody's using it? Because all the stuff that I'm creating, I don't even have time to share it. I just like make this thing like haphazardly before class, right? Yeah. And then I'm like, mm. okay, this, well, this is mine. And I'm like, wait a minute. Actually, like a ton of teachers could use this. And if I had a little bit more time, I could spice it up. I could put the BMF logo right there, da -da, share it with the group. So it was kind of like, I was like, I need, I'm, I'm energized by this content creation curriculum design. Like you got to put me there, dude. Mm. And that, and we did. So I think that goes to kind of what we're really focusing on today, which is um, the idea of what makes a school unique. What tools are we giving to teachers so that they can be their best selves? What are the implications and ramifications on the school, on student retention, on teacher retention, on team retention? Um, so there's a lot of big concepts in there. Maybe let's start big picture and say, you know, Greg, I know you're working on um, BMF curriculum. Um, and I know specifically you're working on BMF's big music games. Maybe just give us the overview of what big music games is, why it's so important to BMF, what role it plays. Maybe let's just start there. Yeah, <laughs> this is going to be a, I'll try <laughs> not to make this a very long speech, but um, in essence, big music games is an ear first approach uh, to gamifying, uh, basically ear training exercises, mm -hmm. um, in a nutshell, uh, it's not always ear first, but most of the time. Um, and I think before we even get into big music games, there's a, a, a method that Nate introduced me to, which was really eye opening to the way students are participate in music. Mm -hmm. which is uh, ear, brain, and body. So if you, if you take these concepts and apply them to how we play games, that's a big one. So we and actually, Greg Genter, mm -hmm. uh, he uh, touched upon this too with the senses that you use in music, right? Yeah. So we it don't was episode 33. Yeah, it was episode 33. And, and mm -hmm. what was a, but so we're, we're, we see music, we read it, uh -huh. we hear it, and we we touch it with our instrument, right? So we have the the body, the the brain, and the the ears, right? So when you have that kind of approach, then that's how we design our games. And we usually try to lead with our ear because so many the the common approach to a majority of music education is read what's on the page. Yeah, right? so true. The brain first then you play it with your body and you listen critically back to it with your ears, right? Yes. And a huge, uh, okay, I'm, I'm not going to dump on my old guitar teacher because I don't know if he's watching this, but <laughs> a big disservice to my guitar teacher was he was very much out of the book. That works yeah. for some students, but it was a big disservice to me because I was a strong listener. I had a mm. really strong ear and he didn't know it. And... um I remember so many times he'd put stuff on the page and I'd, I'd try to play it and I'd mess up and it just wasn't connecting. And I asked him so many times, can I just hear it? Mm. Can you just play it for me? 
because I just need to hear it too. Because if I hear it and see it, I'm going to be able to connect it a little bit better. And he was like, no, no, you got to read what's on the page. Okay. Do like, all... that's, that's not helping me. Do but all that... students. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's um, we're trying to break out of that sort of thing by having a fun gamified approach that tells a story that gets kids interactive and it's using different parts of our music experience than, than just reading, but using other parts of our, our senses. So do all students at BMF do this? Do they do it every week? Um, Is it something that's only seasonal? Like how does that work? Yes. Big music games is a part of every um, class that we do. Mm. And it's a a fair chunk. What would you say? It's like a third of the class, like class time. Yeah. I'd say it's like in the 20 to 30%. Yep. There's always okay. a game. It usually we usually go from our opening warm up, which is five minutes straight into a game in a in a group classic mini keys be different. But I'd say like twenty to thirty percent of the time is gamified. Well, here's the big thing about big music games is it doesn't matter what instrument you play. So that's the next the next key part. Mm. So we have we have the the way we're ingesting and exporting music, right? And then we have um, the the fact that we're we're basing it off of fluencies. So we have four main fluencies that make a well-rounded musician, rhythm, melody, harmony, and songwriting. So those four fluencies are vital and it doesn't matter what instrument you play, anyone can play a big music game. And it actually removes the instrument for a moment and just lets you play, lets you experience music, you step away from the instrument, you don't need it. And mm. I think that's really great. And I love playing big music games with parents. Right. Or like oh, some, somebody who's brand new that's just coming into the school and you're like, what are you guys about? You know, like, I don't I don't play an instrument. Can you can, can you show me? It's like, yeah, we're actually going to do a third of the class right now. You don't even know what instrument you're going to play. Right. Interesting. Huh. So um, I know there's a lot of different ways we could take this. Let's. Let's go to a place that my mind's going to first. I don't know. I, I'm kind of, <laughs> because I'm just curious. Because, Nate, I've heard you talk about this for like two years. Um, right. uh, going on three now. And I think this is the most information I've ever received about it. How, um, how does big music games fit into, you know, BMF strategic plan from a business perspective, from an education and delivery on promise perspective, like let's go big picture there. Cause now that I get a little bit of a sense of what it is. And like I said, if we can put some video over that so that the watchers could kind of see it in action, but like, how does it fit into the school in those ways? And I, I bet I need to go to Nate on this one since Greg, you already said you weren't the numbers guy. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's an awesome question. So what I hear you asking is like, Daniel, you're like, well, what about the long-term strategy for the school? Just its growth strategy, right? Sure. And as a, as a, you know, how does this um, impact um, where we are today and where we want to go? I would say the most um, apparent impact it has is on uh, the unique selling proposition, like you said, Daniel. It's yeah. very easy for us to talk about what makes a student's experience at Brooklyn Music Factory unique. We say it all the time. We gamify music education. We get a lot of families that come and say, I just don't want music lessons to feel like they did when I was for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we hear that all the time. Right. Same. And great. You're literally giving the example. Um, 
from your own journey. And so the so we feel very confident in saying our lessons are fun. They're mm. a fun first approach. Now, what's fascinating around that is that many parents are skeptical of fun as a tool for education. Mm. I, I literally remember in year one or two, I had a good friend of mine who was sending her, her, his daughter to one of our early uh, classes. And he's like, I just don't get it. I don't understand how a group of kids in a drum circle having fun can really learn something. And this was like from one of my buddies. And I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> we've got some work around messaging. But we now, since we've been developing this tool for a dozen years and we've been using it, we can very confidently say that you can have a lot of fun and be leveling up your foundational skills, your fluencies, strengthening your ear, strengthening your musical mind. That's really music theory for us. Um, and then also improving what you do on the instrument. So in terms of long-term strategy, just like how does it help BMF, Daniel? Mm -hmm. For starters, it just really improves. It makes it so much easier in a marketing and sales funnel. Mm. It's just like <laughs> profoundly easier to be like, this is what we do. This is why we do it. Here's a testimonial from a mom. Here's a testimonial from a seven-year-old piano student. And both the mom and the piano student will literally cite big music games as one of the reasons why their music lessons have been so effective. So then, you know, this is what's really striking me because obviously we're going deep on one specific topic, which is what we tend to do on this podcast slash video show. Um, but I think what it's really highlighting for me is that anytime I've met a studio that has had sort of an almost like an effortless time of enrolling students or keeping students. It's what I referenced at the beginning. There's something going on there that's unique. Um, there's something going on there that isn't just like the experience we had growing up with lessons. And I think there is more of an awareness now because um, in the, in our industry that this is becoming important that that we don't have to bend over backwards or, or swing from the chandeliers, but we do need to make that educational experience feel fun, feel challenging, feel effortless, feel easy. Pick one of those, maybe not all of them. And, and you know, Nate, going back to that episode I talked about, the thing that I really focused on with my students was I want them to make this feel easy. Truth be told, I wasn't a big game guy. Mm. Part of the reason why I was really excited to have Greg on because this is foreign thinking to me. And if you even go back to early content that I created for Grow Your Music Studio, I often would kind of, and I'm not saying that's what I'm doing here because this is clearly different to me and I'm explain why in just a second. But I would often kind of poo-poo the studios that would, that basically tried to turn music lessons into arts and crafts time. Like they're building yeah, with blocks totally. and stuff like that. Because I was like, no, no, no. I want to give these kids an, an incredibly solid musical foundation. So it feels easy because if it feels easy. They won't, it'll feel effortless. Then who doesn't want to do something effortless? Everyone right, wants to right. feel that way. That's what I want to give to them. So that's where I, I want to ask another question, either Greg or Nate. Um, and maybe we should just defer to Greg since Greg is on just for the episode. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, what makes this different? What makes big music games different than, you know, a lot of those things that we can find out there on dozens and dozens of different 
piano teacher or guitar teacher blogs where people give away like free principles or, oh, here, try this game with your students. Like, it seems to me that big, big music games feels more like a cohesive system, that there's a deep, that it isn't just about the inner, it isn't just about entertainment, it isn't just about um, doing something that musically enriches the child. It feels like there's a bigger purpose overall to it. Maybe you can speak to that. I don't know. Right. Well, I think one of the main things is that big music games can exist on its own, right? Like if you just, if you had no idea what BMF was and you opened up big music games, it's strong ear training games that um, tell a really good story. A lot of them have like good, clear mission objectives that are fun and colorful, you know, more than just visually, but like it's, it's rich in, in storyline, <laughs> but uh, big music games is part of our curriculum. It's part of the through line, you know? So it, like I said, it's all about that linking. And when we, when we talk about our classes, it's, it starts with the game. It gets linked to your instrument and then it gets linked to a song, right? A goal, a thing that you're going to play. So it's that through line that I think is, is really helpful. Um, and I think one of the things that you said, that's what makes it unique is, and this is getting into the nitty gritty here, but I like, it. I think the branding and like the style guide that we have, and this is, you know, like I said, the, no student is really going to like notice this, but this is more of like just a design thing is that we have, like, you could look at big music games and you're like, oh, yeah, that's Brooklyn Music Factory. Hmm. It's got the colors. Hmm. It's got the graphics that are uniform throughout. Hmm. Right. So I think that's Nate and I always talk about it. How are we going to make it BMF-y? You know, yeah, <laughs> even just the sounds, dude, like even just the voiceover is fun, right? It's hmm. welcome to another Brooklyn Music Factory, big music game. And like everything has a very uniform um, style to it. And I think that's important to kids. I think when they open it up, they want to feel like, yeah, this is this thing that I do and I, I get it. And it has hmm. this look and feel and sound to it. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. It makes them feel as if they're part of something bigger than themselves. Um, it makes it, it, uh, it further embeds them and cements them into the community. Like that's what really strikes me there. Because I made the joke earlier about the streaming service. But when we watch Netflix, we don't think we're part of that company. For the kids in the in your school, it further connects them to their, especially at that age, the identity that they're forming. It connects them really to the school, and you know, it's something that I think parents look on and, and can be impressed about. Again, I don't want to give anyone who's listening like a a complex or something because I start out again like so many teachers and school owners are coming to me like I don't know what our thing is and and. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if it makes sense for every school to go out there and, and create some kind of custom system that's unique to them that probably in the long run isn't 
a workable solution for most schools. But if people can hear this episode and kind of get a sense of why you all are doing what you're doing, um, you can probably push people a little bit farther down the, the road to understanding that values piece that Nate is always talking about. That sometimes I even hear it and be like, man, I don't really understand values in the way that Nate does. <laughs> like, I'm kind of sitting here listening, sometimes being like, oh, I didn't know you, that values could impact that. <laughs> you know, so um, I know I'm kind of dead ending there with, with, with a thought. So, Nate, uh, I'd love for you well, to jump I was, in. There. I was going to add one other um, piece to Greg's answer. Um, and before I do, I want to say this, like we get tons of teachers reaching out to us about playing big music games. Mm. And, and now there are lots of teachers using it. Mm. And when we were initially just an iOS app, we had something like 500 teachers playing it in their studios. And it was really fascinating to hear back how it, how it helped their lessons. And I think the most important takeaway for us back in 2018, 19, when we first were just developing interactive games on the app, we've now since moved to just like a big music games, which is it's a desktop uh, game. It can be played, you know, obviously on your mobile, et cetera. But one of the things we heard was we just want to insert this into our pre-existing lesson plan. And that gets back to Greg's point. Let the t you as a teacher can absolutely insert this into the plan that you're already doing. And then you find the link. You find the link from that rhythm game to your show parent. You find the link from that rhythm game to that, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix solo you're working on. Yeah, you know, or, or it, even like a traditional method, potentially. Uh, but a traditional method, totally. So in terms of the last piece, I just wanted to add to Greg's answer is, you know, we're a songwriting program. We are from, the, from age four on up, we are just constantly... Um, reinforcing that every one of you as students are meant to compose mm. period to like create, no, yeah yeah to, there's no exception so we just so these um games for us become the seeds for composition like that rhythm song scribe game greg was talking about where he applied it to the guitar we might just as likely apply it to an original melody that we're going to write we just take the rhythm and we say the only parameter for the melody is that it has to follow this quarter note, half note rhythm you just transcribed. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of that last piece I wanted to add to it. So if you're, a, if you're a music teacher and composition is something that you love to do and you love to do with your students, in addition to whatever method books you're in, et cetera, then that's a link for you from the games to composition. For us, we link it to original songs, which they then go on and perform in a songwriting party or at a band mm -hmm. party. Um, but I just wanted to add that in there. Mm. Um, can I ask a question about that? Totally. Many years ago, I became aware of uh, Faber Piano Adventures had a set of books for younger kids, uh, much younger kids, like four and five-year-olds. It's called My First Piano Adventures. And when I was started using it, I was really puzzled by some of the things that they had the kids doing in the first book just weird stuff. They had these songs you'd sing along, like pushing chocolate chips into cookie dough and all this sort of thing. And they had this one song called stone on the mountain. It was really weird. My wife would hear me playing the CD with the younger kids, like from the other room. And, and she'd be like, I, what, what is that? And I eventually just started skipping it until I went to a workshop with Randall Faber, where he spent an entire day explaining their first book in that series. Mm. And he literally spent almost an hour explaining 
why Stone on the Mountain, this 30 second song was crucial to kids developing good technique. And mm. to and here, I think it's just this stupid little jingle that I'm supposed to do with the kids to entertain them. And then here he's got all these deep reasons on how it's teaching them and how and how you should use the song. So I know you give these tools to every Brooklyn Music Factory teacher. Is there a component of the big music games where, where you actually do help teachers understand the linkage? Maybe not even just a composition, but also to just good technique or to just note reading in general or rhythm? Like, is that, is that an aspect of it? Because I know you said here, you know, it's available for download or whatever, which I didn't even realize it was on iOS. Um, so um, is, that part, is that part of it? Greg, this is a good question for you to answer because since the very first, you know, wait a second level was created in my basement a dozen years ago, I've always been thinking, what's the link to the human and what's the link to moving a student more kind of efficiently through their journey with the game. But sometimes I think I'm way too close to it. Like I'm constantly manipulating our games for in a new way as a teacher. And I'm curious for you as someone who now is tasked with training teachers on how to use the games, you introduce new games. Like we have a Slack channel that's just, what is it new to BMF connect? And a lot of times it's a new game level that you're, uh -huh. how do you tell me about it from your vantage point in your journey at BMF? How do you actually get teachers engaged, trained, playing? Give us an, maybe give us an example of what's, been really successful for you in getting other people, other teachers on board with the new game? And what have you found to just be kind of a bust? Yeah, well, I'd say um, usually some sort of walkthrough, which could just be me talking to the screen saying, hey, this is how I play the game <clears throat> and really elaborating on not just the one way to play it. Because what we notice in these big music games is that there's like so much crossover and bleed and like so many different ways that you could play it again, getting back to that ear brain body approach, but you can kind of spin a game this way or that way. You could spin a game by just having the teacher ask the question, the student responds, flip it. Student asks the question, mm. teacher has to respond. Right? So like once you open up all those different avenues of how to play one game, 15 different ways that gets teachers like, Oh, I didn't like the first way you presented it but I really liked the second and third way that you presented. That sounds like something I can execute, you know? Mm. So that, that was my big, sense. my big thing. And here, here's the, the big thing about our curriculum and stuff is that, and it gets back to my very first point about like, remember how I said I was like unhappy in this X and Y position was because now that we have like a super strong curriculum, it makes teachers lives way easier because mm. teachers can plug in, see the games, play it. They're not like, oh, what am I going to do with my student? It's all there, mm -hmm. you know? And it's beyond big music games. Like we have the, our whole lesson plans pretty much templated out for teachers. Mm. I literally had a teacher yesterday who had been with us for five years um, and was moving on to another, he started a record label. He's doing this totally awesome um, project, uh, which by the way, I just learned he's, we're getting some funding from Rihanna for it, which is just awesome. So anyways, we were doing our exit interview. Daniel, you and I have talked about how to do an exit interview. I think we've even shared some of the questions. So I was asking him, I was like, tell me about two or three areas where 
you really struggled as a teacher and um, how we could, you know, where should I focus my attention over the next few years to improve? What should I improve upon? He was like, well, I'll tell you, there was a time where the amount of students and bands I taught, it just equaled the amount of preparation I needed to do. So it'd be like, I'd have 60 students and it would take me, you know, 20 minutes per student. And it was just an enormous amount of prep time to try to teach all that. And I was just overwhelmed and exhausted. And he said, over the last few years, as you guys have developed these, uh, developed the games and developed the templates, man, it's so much easier now <laughs> to be a teacher at the factory. And it's really improved. And I, honestly, I got to be honest, Daniel, that's a huge um, relief for me because we've invested, like you said, it's not for every school to build out their own unique curriculum. I would highly discourage that. <laughs> because, dude, I can literally, oh, my word. I literally have an income statement that is just the amount of money and we've invested in content creation, big music games, and it's not a small amount. Yeah. You know? And so when I hear back from the teachers, like, man, this investment is really paying off in terms of satisfaction and it being much easier and more enjoyable to teach. It's just like, hallelujah. There's something mm. beyond just some really cool set of games that's beneficial to the student. Mm. You know, it's actually beneficial to your entire team. Earlier on, you were talking about finding the right role for yourself at BMF. And, you know, I want to go back to that just to close out this episode, because I think there's a lot of listeners that are trying to figure out how to expand their team and find someone who's as invested as you are in what we're trying to build, you know, and the lives we're trying to transform here. Um, and by the way, am I, is it too big of a stretch, dude? Cause you know how I talk, but I'm, I want you to be real honest right now. I like, I never got into this business to teach music lessons. I was like this, if all I'm going to do is teach a piano lesson, I'm out. Right. The whole purpose was to be a mentor and to transform lives and to really empower families to feel like they could be writing songs as a family at the dining room table. You know, yeah. honestly, like, I mean, you know, we know one another well, but I'm curious when you imagine designing a big music game, do you actually make the link in your mind like this could actually change this kid's life? Ooh. Yeah, but like subconsciously, yes. You know, like that's like that's a no brainer sort of mm. under yeah. understatement. I mean, it's just like I'm not understatement, but like underlying. Yeah. I think it's really just about like whenever it's a big music game that's being developed, it's like, how is this going to help them as a musician and have a fun time? I think so many kids show up to lessons and they're like stressed out, you know, mm. and this is just another extracurricular that they got to do. And I could see it in their face. They're like, I had a hard day at school. And I'm like, dude, this isn't, this is not where we have a hard day. This is actually where we, we get 30 minutes where we get to not have a hard day. And we get to unplug from that. You know, nice. I'm not here to, to grade you and stress you out. Like we're here to have fun and to make music. And if this is your 30 minutes where you get to actually like check out for a minute, this is the place to do it, you know? Mm. You know what's so awesome about that is it, it, 
it gets to something Daniel said before around how he was so resistant to this idea of fun and games or arts and crafts <laughs> piano lesson. Cause he's like, and I could hear it in his voice and I dig it knowing him as well as I do. Like, he's like, we need to take this seriously. This is important, right? I'm going to develop, I'm going to make sure you have a really strong foundation. And, and you may or may not know this about me, but I think you do at this point. Like I'm adamant that these kids level up. Mm-hmm. Like to me, it's like, it's, you know, our, like our songwriting parties. I love the development of the fact that I can say out loud to my level three student that he's going to move through 10 more seasons, 10 more levels of songwriting, and each level is going to get more complex. In big music games, it's so important that I go to my students and say, okay, dude, you're on level five of major minor. What do you think? Do you think this season we can get to level seven? Mm-hmm. And so that's that weird rub for me, dude, because I always want it to be fun, but I am like, I've been a lifelong student. So I want to know that they're progressing without ever using the word progress. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do you, uh, like, first of all, do you know that about me? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. just wondering whether I'm just like hiding it. It's in the closet. It's like Nate. Um, okay. So. Yeah, so it's like fun, but I'm always aware. I think we're always aware as a program. And we're always, when you and I are working on a, a new game or leveling, uh, you'll oftentimes come to me and be like, dude, what's the, give me the levels on this. Leveling these, is hard. Leveling is difficult. And, and I think that's where, um, you know, goes back to a comment we made earlier. It's like, don't just jump into this willy nilly. Like, for example, in, in my case, I've been teaching for 32 or three years, and I feel very confident in leveling ear training around intervals, around melodies, mm. around developing melodies, around rhythm, that kind of thing. But I wasn't always, that's for sure. You know, like I would oftentimes make that rookie mistake as an educator where I would just skip five levels and move mm. my student <laughs> to the next thing <laughs> because I was yeah. so excited for them yeah. to do that thing. And you're like, oh, that just totally took the wind out of their sails. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to go, I want to close this app. Sorry, I'm circling back to what I said before. I want to close this app with a comment you made around finding the right hat or the uh, assortment of hats that you wear. And you were like, this is mine. Now this is going to be my hat. This is the hat I'm going to wear. But what's interesting, dude, is I really don't feel like that's the energy you give it all on the team. I feel like when you're creating, you're like, this is ours. Like this is, I'm in this team to support what we are trying to actually accomplish. Right. Well, it's not so much, this is my hat, but this is a hat that we all get to wear. Right. Mm. Here's like the hat that, that everyone's going to share. There's a team that, that needs to be developed around whatever, you know? Yeah. Can you talk to us for, let's just get pretty candid here to close out because we literally get this. We, we literally get emails like this. I'd say every week that are basically like, Nate, we don't believe that there are teachers that want to stay at a school for five years. Hmm. We just actually, we don't believe it. We've never seen it. And then they follow up with like, do you think making them a W-2 salaried position is the key? And I'm mm. like, man, we're totally thinking that you can just, it's like, it's a, like just some, money. 
Yeah, like yeah. it's money and policy. Right. <laughs> you know, so I just, what is it about, like, you've worked at many different places. You talked about your first, um, before we got on the show, you talked about your very first teaching gig and thinking you were just, you were like, what's going on here? I was just thrown in with nothing, yeah. you know? Um, what is it about Brooklyn Music Factory for you that has resulted in this kind of um, engagement and just commitment? I, like, I don't think of, I definitely don't think of it as you working for me. I've ne I never think in those terms. I think in what are we building, right? right? But I'm curious, from your perspective, what was your chapters of growth at BMF? How did you arrive actually to a place where like we'll jump on a Zoom call with no minutes notice to just quickly talk through leveling of something? Well, I, you know, you mentioned that 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 meeting that we had many years ago where I was just unhappy. And um, you know, as as the founder of the school, I think you and I both saw the opportunity. And decided to act on it rather than just say, no, Greg, you're, I just want you to be a teacher. Right. You said, oh, uh, it seems like Greg's interested in developing curriculum. And that's where there's excitement. And that's where I, and that's why I proposed to you. Right. I was just like, I, I think I want to build a little bit more and it's going to be beneficial for everybody. And I, I want to help, help with the building, not just me. I mean, you, you just lock me in a room, but it was just like, I, I'd like to see things to the to the finish line. And I want to kind of touch base with some other teachers to see how we could do that. Um, but dude, like what's interesting is that our team has evolved over the years. And there have been times where I feel like we've been like, oh, why hasn't so and so like committed to this and like followed through with this curriculum design thing? Mm. You know, and this is being really candid. Yeah. And I, w I remember saying once at a meeting where I was like, I think they just want to be a teacher. Yes. And I was like, that's fine. I think they just want to clock in and teach and then, and then go. And right. I don't blame them at all for that. But like, I actually have a ton of fun nerding out with the curriculum development. And, you know, I, I think when I started at BMF, I was just a teacher, but now I've, I've, taken on this role of like instructional designer. I don't yes. think you've ever called me an instructional designer before, but like I will starting tomorrow, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's just something that uh, was, I was like, Oh, actually I found what, what actually really makes me excited about um, my job and like that creative space. Okay. So I gotta, I gotta hone in on that and I gotta, and I gotta ask a follow-up question on your teacher comment. Mm -hmm. So um, what I hear you saying there is that as a school owner, as a founder, uh, you really need to actually be listening and assessing all the different people and asking yourself, like, what's the right lane for this person and not devaluing the teacher who says, what I really want to do is come in, serve my students. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask a follow-up question on that because I talk a lot about this. Um, I am very uncomfortable with someone who wants to just clock in and clock out hmm. because I oftentimes um, equate that with lack of purpose and values. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious whether you've seen that 
at BMF. So now we're getting super candid. But when you go back to this teacher who's like, I didn't, I don't really want to do content creation. What I really want to do is just show up and teach. Do you have, do you actually think that they're continuing to move through on our purpose? I think we're, we're putting just in the wrong place or mm. like we're putting just into a sentence that doesn't need to be there. Yes. The teacher d- doesn't just want to teach. They want to teach. Yes. That's and what that they want to totally, do. Yeah. And that could totally fit in the values. It's not right, of course. just want to teach, right? They just, they want to teach. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> that's of course, that is the delivery of the games, the service, right. everything. Right, right. I was once, I remember, um, you know, early on in BMF, I had hired a bunch of friends and, and as that sort of that, that the turnover of that initial team, I was talking to one of them afterward at the end of their run. And he's like, Nate, you know, I think one of the cha- problems you have is you're just hiring a whole bunch of like entrepreneurs or people that come in that want to start their own thing. And like, that's, you're only attracted to that because you sort of want like minded people on your team. Hmm. And it was just, it was like a, I had to journal about that sucker for a while, dude. But I think it actually ties into your comment. It's like as I've matured as an owner, I think I've, um, I think I've slowly understood like, oh, there are all these different roles. Everyone's equally valuable, and some of them are on the front lines interacting with students and parents. Some of them aren't at all. You know, they're mm. just helping behind the scenes. For example, you know, Leah, our, our bookkeeper, part-time CFO, she's super valuable to us, mm-hmm. but she's never interacting with the student, yeah. you know? So it's like, they're not just anything. So I, I appreciate that. Dude, and you I got think- like a deck of cards, you know? And yeah. like, yeah, I think you play the cards well, and cards being staff. And you're mm. like, this, this card is strong here. And maybe not here, and that's okay. Me and the money meeting. Don't don't need to play that card. Don't need to play that card. Well, I appreciate that. And I feel like it's important for our listeners to understand that these are you're ever evolving with that deck of cards. And there are times where I misplay a card for sure. And then I'm just like, damn, I thought I was sort of like smarter than that. But actually, I feel like, you know, I feel like you're a great example of this as someone who's just feels very comfortable in communication. And this open, transparent environment that we try to cultivate allows for me to play the card incorrectly, but then to learn from it quickly. Yeah. Well, dude, that's kind of how I arrived at BMF, too. And, you know, I'm not again, I'm not trying to throw any (laughs) I won't name names, but I was working for a preschool and enrichment center. And I basically came to them with the same thing that I came to you where I was like, I want to develop this more. Like, I think, I think if, if we sink a little bit more into this music program, I was like the music guy in like a broader yes. reaching preschool yep. and it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't there. And I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, I, if you want to sit with the little curriculum that you have, that's fine. But I, I want to move on. I want to let Bron James this and and go to the Heat, you know. <laughs> now and then to the Lakers, and who knows where it's next. Um, okay, so maybe we close with this because I think our listeners will be really they value hearing your perspective on just being part of a team 
um, and when you've how you've evolved. So if there's an owner who has someone like you on their team that they think is really could be really valuable by like sort of promoting to a different position, what's the advice that you'd give to them? Like if it's not all about money, if it's about a couple of other things in addition to that, or it's not even about that, just what are two or three steps that an owner can take to find their Greg within their team and begin to try to develop um, that level of, yeah, just investment and purpose and what they're trying to build. (laughs) It's a hard question, dude, but this is what we, people ask this all the time. So having someone like you on is just so valuable. I think again, I get a little bit back to the cards, right? You know, your employees really well and you know, through just working with them, and trying them out in a few different places and learning and evolving with them where their strong suits are and where they, where they aren't. And you um, definitely invest in opportunities mm. with people. I, I would like to think definitely with me, oh, right. <laughs> where, you know, like I, I have pivoted so many times and you've just been like, yeah, let's, can we, can we trial this for a second, dude? And like, see how it goes. And we do. And it's like, great, let's keep going. Or nah, maybe this was a bad idea, right? Mm. So that that's an important, um, there's two really important or three really important points that I think our listeners should take from that. One is that uh, you know your employees. So I, I would ask that question point blank to our listeners. Do you actually get to know your employees? Hmm. Like, I don't mean like you need to know everything about their personal life, et cetera. You don't need to be best friends, but you need to invest the time to observe. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I absolutely was in meetings with you and was observing how you were communicating with others. I was watching you in the class. I was, I probably even read some of your lesson reports, mm-hmm. you know, whether you knew it or not. I was just like, I want to, I want to check in and see what's going on in this world. Yeah. You know? Um, so that's number one. The number two is you said this and you just kind of like tossed it off, but it's important. You said you tested them out in different roles. So there's like a risk piece there. Mm -hmm. As an owner, you have to say, if I really think there's an opportunity here, you have to be willing to try. You can't keep putting it off and thinking, just living in the chaos of how you're operating your company now. You have to actually say like, I believe this can all get easier and more fun if I take some risks with some people. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the third one, dude, is so valuable because I'm going to reach, I'm going to reframe your last comment, which was you, you do a trial period. So, so many times we get nervous because we don't want to invest a whole bunch of money and time and then have it come back to bite us. Mm-hmm. And what I hear you saying is you don't have to, you can just be like, dude, for four weeks, how about we agree at this hourly and we agree that you're going to, um, on some version of an evidence of success, dude, I say that all the time to you, right? Like, yeah. I'm like, just define success for me before we take one step forward. Right. You know, um, and then see how it goes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, the last thing I'd say is that you're, you're receptive, mm-hmm. you know, right. Like, I came to you with some ideas and you were like, okay, let me just sit on that for a second. I'm going to get back to you. And yeah, it's just, it, 
I think just knowing where the passion is in your employees and then kind of directing them into those roles is super helpful. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.